The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hojin Sensei is head priest at the monastery and the abbess of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Only breath. Rumi. Not Christian or Jew or Muslim, not Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi or Zen, not any religion or cultural system. I am not from the East or the West, not out of the ocean or up from the ground, not natural or ethereal, not composed of elements at all. I do not exist. I am not an entity in this world or in the next, did not descend from Adam and Eve or any origin story. My place is placeless, a trace of the traceless, neither body or soul. I belong to the beloved having seen the two worlds as one and that one called to and know, first, last, outer, inner, only that breath-breathing human being. So I'd like to talk about the breath, breathing into expression, this retreat that we did this weekend which I thought, isn't that what we're doing on this planet with everything and everyone? Breathing into expression, complete expression. The current world population, they say, is 8.5 billion people breathing together, plus creatures. Said by 2050, 9.7 billion people sharing one planet. All these miraculous expressions. So in this retreat, I try something new, working with a sutra, the Anapasanadi Sutra. The life energy coming in and the waste energy as it is expelled, breath. And this sutra concerns the awareness of the entire process of breath being as it is. It was one of the most detailed sutras the Buddha gave in the very beginning on instructions on breathing. And, um, yeah, uh, breath has always been a focus, I realized, in my art practice for a long time. You know, in pottery, it was, we were always said, breathe life into the vessel. It's not the outside you worry about, but how you breathe it open, how you center with gravity, how you put pressures in the right places at the right time as things spin and you stay centered. 
and you open up space, open up the darkness of the vessel. And then I worked with lines, one beautiful mark next to the other. We didn't do that in the retreat. Just one beautiful mark next to the other, just focusing you're on your breathing in and out. I remember in, our, in the pottery class, when you first learn how much we hold our breath, and the teacher used to come around and do this under our nose. You're saying, you can't pull the pot up unless you're breathing. You can't breathe life into it unless you're breathing. But it took years to be able to actually breathe and do all that at once, right? Just like in Zazen, just to return to breathing without all the technique. So the beginning, in the beginning practice we all receive is coming in contact with breath through counting. It's the practice we all begin with. And the instruction is to let the breath be what it is. Don't control it. Just surrender to the breathing. Right? See what arises in the mind. Release it. Return to the focus of the breath, which begins to build concentration. And that that is central to the Dharma practice and to our life, this breathing. Finding this still point. How do we find this still point in the midst of movement when it's not moving? And so, in a way, Zazen is coming into the unknown by choice. Yeah. It's coming into the not known. It's a movement by choice into the experience of uncertainty, the experience of no road ahead, no fixed point, no map. It's a constant choice of returning to the experience of not known, being with the breath. And art practice is exactly the same. Just returning to being in the unknown, breathing in the unknown. No fixed point. It's a chance to leave the familiar. It's a beautiful edge to practice sleeping in the dark, as we say. The breath like uncertainty, is always moving. It's not fixed. It's always rising and falling, always changing. The breath is not anything, but it's our one constant. The first thing we do when we're born, inhale. Last thing, exhale, at death. In and out, in and out. The breath is simple, can only be breathed one moment at a time. Try it. (laughs) We can't breathe two breaths, it's one at a time. And it can only be breathed now, now, now. So it's never there, it's always here. 
the now and the breath are not fixed. They move all the time. And yet they're constant and they're dependable as long as everything's functioning. We don't have to think, oh, I'm going to get to the next breath. It's here. It just comes. So we can always depend on it being now. And most of us are pretty good at controlling, and we would like to get a little better at that, (laughs) and ride it and push it along, help it out. And we might have this idea in, in our practice that we have to be deep breathing to be really doing it. Did you ever have that thought? People come in and say, well, my breath's really shallow. I'm like, great. You saw that. But it, there's, there's a judgment to it of some kind. Let the breath be what it is. Allow it to unfold naturally. And of course, this, what follows is that everything is in, that's inside will come up eventually. We'll see our wild mind that can be brought into awareness through the breath and transformed, worked with, release the energy. So we don't problem solve, but more maybe problem dissolve. (laughs) So I wanted to share this first meditation teaching of the Buddha, which is, um, it's a rare step-by-step guide given by the Buddha in the sutra. And uh, the meditation, as I said, that he taught in most detail. And Thich Nhat Hanh said, we would do well to become familiar with the teaching fundamental to meditation that was studied and practiced at the time of the Buddha. That we would do well to learn something about that. And how does that relate to what we've, we learn? Is this sutra in there? So anapana means in-breath and out-breath, anapana. And sati, anapana sati, means mindfulness or the present moment awareness that simply notices what is happening without interfering, without adding, without subtracting anything from our experience. It's bare awareness. So anapanasati means mindfulness while breathing in and out. And mindfulness is is a term used a lot in the sutra. has a lot of different meanings in the culture. But it's an extraordinary uh, capacity that we have. And mindfulness, too, can only happen in the present. We can be mindful of a past memory, but it can only happen in the present. It's unbiased not for or against anything. It's like a mirror. It doesn't judge what it reflects. Just mindful. Has no other goal than seeing itself. And it doesn't try to add what's happening or subtract or improve in any way. It's not detached, like standing on a, like a person standing on 
some other mountain, observing with binoculars. I think of Dido in those moments. It's a form of participation. Fully living our lives awake. And it's not just in the midst of a meditation hall. We know this. And we can use a... um, use this process of mindfulness, of breathing on highly charged situations, unpleasant emotions, like fear, like loneliness. You know, when someone says, take a deep breath, or we say it to ourselves, just take a deep breath, that is an excellent teaching. (laughs) Take a deep breath. It brings you right home. Just take a deep breath. And it's with us in every ordinary, everyday life situation. And eventually it becomes just how we live, not a technique on being mindful. But we have to have some training. We have to have some training. It will take time. This will take time. So here we are. In Chinese calligraphy, the word mindfulness is expressed with two characters. The top character is a shelter, and it represents the word now, sheltering now, refuge now. And the bottom character is heart. So mindfulness is bringing the heart to the present, bringing the heart to the now. That's being mindful. And interestingly, busyness, when we're busy, when we have this busyness, that character is killing over heart. So busyness is heart killing. Mindfulness is bringing the heart to the present. Busyness is heart killing. And I was curious, um, when did number counting come into the process? When did we start inhale one, exhale two? So I found in the Soto schools and counting the breath is called sosoku, number breath viewing. And it's counting while in one, exhale two, while breathing out. Although the word is referred to as anapanasate, Adipananasate. So that word in Japanese is referred to that sutra. So that was kind of cool in a general way. Because if you look at it, that I'll tell you about the sutra. It's all in, in our practice, the whole sutra. Right? So this is another way. So sometimes people need other ways to work with their breath. Right? And uh, sometimes that's offered. The Rinzai school, oh, it says, um, Dogen, um, it, so, um, was considered by Dogen a holdover from Hinayana, but Kazan recommended it, this counting. But Dogen thought it was a holdover from Hinayana to count the breath. But Kazan said it was a good thing to do and is still cultivated in the Soto school.
And the Rinzai School also teaches beginning students the usual method is counting the exhalation up to 10 and again back to, to 1. And if you lose count, you start again, same way. So, it says, by bringing the attention continually to the count, the student learns to keep from being distracted. It also teaches the importance of good posture and breathing, as those make counting easier. How would that be? In breath counting, the student enters koan. Even then, some teachers will recommend that this way of counting the breath or uh, following the breath as a way to assist uh, koans. And, I, and if you're doing that, can you feel that? Like, as you're sitting with something, that you're just breathing the reality of the koan, not going over the words, or, or, but just feeling into the reality of the situation that's presented. And I often sense a kind of complaint when practitioners come in and say, I'm still working with the breath. I'm still counting. Can you leave out the still? Like, it feels like, what, what's, what's the problem? Why is that sort of like, where are you going? You know? It has an apologetic tone. And I remember using it. I remember coming into my teacher. I'm still counting. Like, <laughs> are we? I remember I, um, Diodos used to say and encourage, if you really give yourself completely to breath practice, it will take you to the depths you need to go. So I think he was bringing that in, that whole sutra. If you just really practice your breath, it'll take you to the depths that you need to go. Really trust your breath. But we see it's not as easy as it sounds when we actually hit the cushion for a while. So a little background on the sutta. It's the end of the rainy season, retreat, ango, and the Buddha is so pleased with the meditation of those gathered with him that he announces he's going to stay on another month. The month of the water lily, or the white lotus moon. And at the end of the month, he gives this teaching on anapanasati, giving the teaching under the full moon at night. The Buddha says, mindfulness of in and out breathing, when developed and pursued, is of great benefit. Mindfulness of in and out breathing, when developed and pursued, brings the four foundations of mindfulness to perfection. So body, feelings, um, body, feelings, sorry, forgot for a second mental formations, and dharmas. The, f- um, the four foundations of mindfulness, when developed and pursued, bring the seven factors of awakening to their culmination. Seven factors Roshi spoke of. Mindfulness, investigation of mental states, energy, rapture, tension release, concentration, absorption, 
and equanimity. The seven factors of awakening when developed and pursued perfect, clear insight and liberation. Letting go. Complete letting go. So this keeping the breath in mind. As he says, it can take us all the way to clear knowledge and release. So we can think of it as our home, as a meditator. And each of us may know, need to go to excursions um, on, in other areas in our practice. Having other practices and themes for dealing with specific problems and things that come up in the mind that we have to deal with. But it's good to have the breath as a home base, as that shelter, as that place to come back to. So the sutra is divided into four sets of contemplations, making 16 total. And they're always there throughout meditation. And within every contemplation, Breath is the anchor. I'm not going to go through all of them with you. You can study that, but I will just mention how the sutra uh, goes so you get a sense of it. It starts with the body, and this is what we worked on in the art practice. Just sitting and then breathing in. I know I am breathing in. Breathing out. I know I am breathing out. Breathing in a long breath, I know I'm breathing in a long breath. Breathing in a short breath, I know I'm breathing in a short breath. And then breathing out, short breath. I know I'm breathing in one and out one. Breathing in, I'm aware of my whole body. Same with breathing out. Breathing out, you're aware of your whole body. Breathing in, we calm our body. Breathing out, calm your body. Breathing in, this is where people got stuck. I feel joyful. Breathing out, I feel joyful. Joyful, pure, a eternal being. Where is it? Find it. Breathing in, I feel joy. Breathing out. Breathing in, I feel happy. Breathing out, I feel happy. Breathing in, I'm aware of mental formations. Breathing out. Breathing in, I'm aware of my mind. Breathing out, I'm aware of my mind. Breathing in, I make my mind happy. Breathing out, I make my mind happy. Breathing in, I concentrate my mind. And breathing out, I concentrate my mind. Breathing in, I liberate my mind. Breathing out, liberate my mind. Breathing in, I observe the impermanent nature of all dharmas. Now we're in the dharmas. Same with breathing out. I observe the disappearance of desire. Breathing out, I observe the disappearance of desire. So you think about your zazen and how that's letting go of the thought. Coming back to the breath. 
Breathing in, I observe the no-birth, no-death nature of phenomena. Same with breathing out. Breathing in, I observe letting go. Breathing out, I observe letting go. Those are 16 of the couplets. And you don't have to work with every one of them. There was one time that the uh, Buddha was speaking about the importance of breath meditation, and a monastic said, well, I practice breath meditation. And the Buddha asked them, yeah, what kind of breath meditation do you practice? And they said, well, I put aside thoughts of the past, don't hanker about thoughts of the future, and keep my breath in equanimity in the present as I breathe in and out. And the Buddha said, well, there is that kind of breath meditation, but it isn't the most beneficial, not the most productive. And then he went on to teach these 16 steps because they are the most effective ways of making the breath our home base. The Buddha says, try to be aware of the whole body when you breathe in the whole body when you breathe out. More oceanic, not like you're doing push-ups. One, two, three, but more oceanic, more further than the body. He said each contemplation is not to be approached as intellectually or as a theory or a heady exercise, but it has to do with simply and directly experiencing what's happening right now. So this requires some training. We have to learn to expand the awareness and keep it expanded throughout the body at the same time without losing focus. And at times we might want to see how, when we're in the body, how does it feel in your abdomen? in your chest? How does the breath feel in your head, your back, your shoulders, your arms? How do you feel it in your legs, the breath and the feet? Breathing in the whole body process. Because usually we think of it as air coming primarily into the lungs or the nose. But there's an energy flow that goes throughout the entire body, and we need the entire body. So we want to be aware and make sure that each of the parts are working together and not at cross-purposes. Familiarize ourselves at times with how breathing feels. We're we're allowed to. How does it feel? And that calms us down. Calms you down. When you start feeling the breath in different parts of the body, it's a focus, it's a concentration. You don't have to describe it, just feel it there. So we want to be aware and make it known, each part, sensitive. And then that makes our whole life sensitive to our breathing 
how we're breathing in our life. And getting sensitive to breathing is showing kindness. Sensitive to our breath is showing kindness to ourselves, and then we can be kind to people, to other breathers. So we're learning how to create breathing comfortably and create a sense of well-being that doesn't depend on things outside, within our own shelter, within our own being, so we can share that. It's an act of generosity. It's giving. When our breathing feels good, and our breathing in and out, we're much likely, less likely to feel irritable, much like, less likely to feel oppressed by the situations around us. I was thinking about how sometimes you can feel, just when someone's speaking and breathing, um, a tightening, depending on how that breath comes out with words, right? It could be very giving and generous, or it can tighten us. So even when things are going a little badly, or a little insane, (laughs) inside or outside, we don't feel like things are weighing in on us because we've got our own space right here. We've got our own space with our breath, and we can breathe in and out comfortably, insanity. I had one teacher who used to say, somebody said, I'm feeling insane. He goes, that's a good thing. You want to be insane. Insanity. Good. Be insanity. So when we're coming from a comfortable spot here, a comfortable sensation in the body, we're like Leslie to be greedy, angry, aversion, have aversion, delusion. Some of the ways we act unskillfully, just from that breath. And people will then suffer less from our stuff. Take a deep breath. And how much prominent breathing has been over the past few years. All about breath. George Floyd can't breathe. COVID can't breathe. Fires from Canada can't breathe. All this precious air element that we need. So this is, this um, giving generosity is a central principle throughout the teachings. If we look out and care for our mind really well, we're not the only one who benefits. The Buddha gives the image of the story of the two acrobats. I know Gokhan told this, but that's what came to my mind too. 
One acrobat's the teacher and the assist- assistant's a young, uh, young girl. And the teacher says, okay, if you get on my shoulders and we'll get on top of the bamboo pole, we should look after each other so that we can each come down safely. And she, the, little, the assistant, said, no, 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 I disagree. <laughs> That's not going to work at all. She said, each person should look after themselves so that we can each be safe and come down safely. Interesting. You know, that example of putting your oxygen mask on first in the plane so you can be of help. You can assist more people. Because we can't really look out for other people's balance. Can we? We can look after our balance and not knock over someone else, not knock them out of balance. So when we're helping ourselves in this way, we're helping others. And that's generosity. That's that virtue of generosity being cultivated. Buddha said, looking after oneself, one looks after others. Looking after others, one looks after oneself. Blurs the line, doesn't it, of who's helping who? Who's going to benefit from our practice? Who's benefiting when we sit zazen? The Buddha teaches a form of happiness that doesn't have boundaries. So when we look after the breath in different parts of the body, as the Buddha said, try to train yourself to be aware of the body. When you breathe in and when you breathe out, then try to calm the breathing. We don't stifle. Just allow the breath to be so gentle. So anywhere your breath feels harsh, we can think of it allowing it to be lighter. Think of the breath coming in in and out of the body through every pore. Requires less energy on our part to breathe in and breathe out. There's a, uh, Lee Young Lee um, had an interview. He's a poet, you might know. And it says, when you speak of breath, how are breath and poems related? And Lee said, Poems and breath are related in basically the same way that breath and utterance are related. That is, when we speak, we use the outgoing breath, the exhaled breath. I don't know, I think I've been going the other way. (laughs) Maybe I'm nervous. The exhaled breath is the dying breath, while the inhaled breath is the infeeding breath. So all human utterance is our dying breath articulated. And the interview asks, and the inhale, do we inhale the poem with our breath? And Lee says, well, let me back up and try to answer it like this. Breathing is a wheel. It turns in and out. Inhale, exhale. He says, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but 
I'll mention the fact that as we inhale, our bones and muscles actually get very compacted, harder. When we exhale, on the other hand, our bodies become soft. Ancient Taoists, he said, so I'm told, believe that inhalation, upon inhalation, our ego becomes very inflated. While during exhalation, our sense of ego and body diminishes and we become more open to a deeper, bigger presence. What I find of interest, though, is this. He says, as we speak, what we mean gets disclosed in opposite ratio to the expelled breath. That is, as breath dies in exhalation while we speak, more and more of the meaning of what we're trying to say gets divulged. Frost calls this the tribute of the current to the source. And Blake called it proceeding by contraries. Meaning is born as the breath dies. In the case of poetry, the meaning that gets born is manifold, saying one thing, but meaning many things. And in this way, a poem is a paradigm of human living. As we perish, the meaning of our lives is revealed. This is what the breath can do. And there are more ways to free the mind. But breath is where we always can come back to. It's our home. It's right here, where the body and mind meet. The ideal place to watch what is going on in the body and mind and to see things as they actually are and where we create unnecessary suffering. to see that we are making choices out of raw materials of past actions, and we learn how to do it more skillfully. So whatever your practice is, maybe make sure you are at the home base, that you're coming back to your breath. Be kind and generous with that. My place is placeless, a trace of the traceless, neither body or soul. I belong to the beloved, having seen the two worlds as one, and that one call to and know, first, last, inner, outer, only this breath-breathing human being. Nothing else, no other identities. Just this breath-breathing human being. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.